0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. And this is what we call the principle of rewards. You know, God does the same with us. We haven't received our rewards in heaven yet. One day we will, but he does want to move us with this truth. He wants to motivate us with this truth, even though it's not always easy. One person said, before the reward, there must be labor. You plant before you harvest, and you sow in tears before you reap in true joy. And that's what we see in our scriptures today. And this was a teaching and testimony of Paul the Apostle, you know, part of the purpose of our teaching today is to move us to live and to labor for the Lord in such a way that on that day when we stand before Jesus, not only will we be saved, but that we would receive a full reward. And, and so only three verses, but there's a lot here. Beginning in verse 9, notice what Paul says. He says, therefore, we, we make it our aim whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. In this section of the letter to the Corinthians, Paul has been teaching about our home in heaven. And, you know, uh, currently we as Christians on earth, we're, we're not home in heaven, right? You know that. We live in a fallen world, fallen bodies, fallen angels. And therefore, in that aspect, we're absent from the Lord But you guys know this, huh? One day we'll pass away, man. One day we'll pass on. I hope we get raptured, but it doesn't really matter the mode of transportation. What matters most is the destination, right? That you got to give your life to Christ to make sure you have that home in heaven and you're present with the Lord. And so Paul's been teaching on this, which leads us now to this truth that we need to make it our aim, you guys whether absent or present, whether here or there, to be well-pleasing to the Lord, you know? Then to, to make it our aim. And interesting, in the Greek language, it comes from two Greek words. The first refers to the love of friends, a philos, and the second refers to uh, the honor and value, and therefore a price that is paid because of that. And what you do is when you put those two Greek words together, it speaks of this, an honorable love which would move someone to strive earnestly, to devote oneself zealously, ambitiously, and we see it in our text, to make this our aim, and that is to be well-pleasing to the Lord. We labor, one translation says, this is our goal, another translation says. Another uses the word ambition. Paul says, regardless of whether I'm present or absent wherever I am, for the rest of my everlasting existence, my aim is to be pleasing and not just pleasing, but well-pleasing and not just well-pleasing to man or any men. My goal is to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Is that your goal? Can you claim in all honesty that that's your aim? I aim, I desire, I am zealous to be well-pleasing to the Lord. You know, it should be because we're Christians and we're supposed to be like Christ and that was his life. You know, we read over in John chapter 8 verse 29, it says, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. He said, For I always do those things that please him. What a beautiful testimony. I always do those things that please him. And then, you know, Paul had this principle in his heart as well. He was... You know, devastated when others didn't live to please God. We read that in 1 Thessalonians 2:19, and although there were times that he wanted to please men, right? You know, to a certain extent, you you want to make people happy, but you never live to please men at the expense of pleasing God. We read that in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. You know, in his very first letter that he wrote in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4 in verse one, he said, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. That was his very first letter. It was filled throughout all of his letters to his very last letter in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. He said, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him. Mm-hmm. As a soldier, you see, we should make it our aim to please God, and you guys, you know what that means in a nutshell is we should make it our aim not to sin, because sin it kind of literally means missing the mark, and so you can kind of visualize yourself you got that that goal or whatever it's looking through that that scope and the crosshairs, and you're just aiming. Not to sin, you're aiming to please God. Of course, we're not always going to hit the bullseye, but that should be our heart as God's people. Again, we're not going to be sinless on this side of time, but we should endeavor to sin less. And so we read that that first principle we see is to aim. And then the second thing I think we need to learn is is this word appearance. First, aim. Then appearance, again, look at verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, he doesn't use the word may. He doesn't use the word might. He uses the word must. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's important to know that there are different judgments in the Bible, but the context here communicates that this is what we would call the Bema seat judgment. Uh, in case you're wondering, this is not the judgment of the non-believer uh, called the great white throne described in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Because he uses the word we, and he's speaking to Christians, and Christians won't stand before the great white throne judgment, but we will, we must appear before the Bema Seat judgment of Christ. Have you guys ever gotten a letter, you know, in the mail that said, you have to appear before the judge? Any of you guys ever, you you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you guys are a bunch of troublemakers, man. I know I have, even when I was real young. I remember just as a junior higher, you know, breaking into the cafeterias, Stealing Twinkies and donuts and milk. And the police officers come in and they scoop us up, you know. And I mean, that's that's a court date. And, And I suppose if you wanted to, you could run away, you know, go to Mexico, right? But the bottom line is, you cannot, you guys, we cannot escape this appearance. One day we will stand, we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, here it's interesting to discover how clear it is how we will all appear before Jesus who will scrutinize our love and our life and our words and our works and our submission and our service and our every move and motive and based upon what we've done and why we've done it here on planet Earth, Jesus will test it and then we will be rewarded accordingly And we're going to get into that in just a sec, but here it's interesting to discover that not only do we have to appear in that court before Christ, not just me, but the word itself seems to say everything. In the Greek word, the word appearance, it means it's like everything is going to come out. I was fascinated by this. I don't know if you guys have ever heard those testimonies of people who say that right before they died, their life flashed before them. Have you ever heard that? And I thought, man... That's a trip, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if everybody, you know, that happens to everybody, but I was doing some research on this, and it's, it really happens. People who thought they were about to die, people who were plunging and falling, you know, hundreds of feet, they were their life was spared, but they will testify that their life passed before their eyes. I wonder if there's a connection to this. You know, one day our life will pass before not just our eyes, But God's eyes, and even though he sees everything as it happens, he will see it once again in review, and he will scrutinize everything with his eyes of omniscience. You know, And and it's something that you can't escape. That's why this, to me, is such an important study. My prayer is that we would take this to heart, and it would change our life. Because I don't know if you ever think about it, but it's going to happen we're going to stand before Christ we can't escape this appearance you know do you ever think about that day you know if not you should because we must appear not only before some random judge you know more than likely if you stood before the judge you didn't know who it was this time you're going to know who it was the one sitting on that on that seat right there that you're going to stand before is jesus the one who died for you, the one who loves you. you know, Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Okay, so my prayer is that we would take this and therefore make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him because we have an appearance already circled on God's calendar And on that day, what he wants to do? Here's the third word, first aim, then appearance. The third word is awards. He wants to give us, believe it or not, awards for our life. We read it here in verse 9 again. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Here it is, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now that's interesting. You know that each one may receive. The word receive in the Greek language, it means to receive as recompense, to receive back, to receive what is one's own. It's not speaking about salvation because salvation can never be earned. It's not recompensed right. We don't work for it. It's not a payback. You guys know this. Salvation is a gift, right? That as you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, he gifts you salvation. Now, this is something different. This speaks of a reward. And here's the thing that you got to know, whether you like it or not, we do work for the glory of God, the good of his people, and we will work for rewards that will be distributed according to what we have done in this body on earth before we pass on, whether good or bad. It was kind of cool. I went over a friend's house the other day, and it was just so neat to see this beautiful family and these little boys. They, Hey, Manny, you know, check out my trophy. I'm like, wow, that is so cool, you know, looking at it. And, you know, sometimes it's just for participation, if you know what I mean. You know. <laughs> But, you know, that's cool. That's cool. But other times, man, I, even me, I remember when I was wrestling in high school, man, receiving the coach's award. It was one of the the most, man, amazing things that ever happened to me. It was not because I was the best wrestler by any means, but it was because I tried. And the coach saw that. See, God's going to award us for for things like that. And we have to understand this is a reality. This is going to happen. One day we will receive... Awards, you know, and, you know, the Bible speaks of this uh, rather frequently in the scriptures. Uh, There are times, you've got to take it in context when God speaks of rewards on earth, but the rewards given out at the Bema Seat are rewards or awards that will be given out after we pass. You know, remember what Jesus said to those people who were persecuted for righteousness' sake? In Matthew 5, verse 12, he said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward. Where? In heaven. There will be awards in heaven, right? Rewards in heaven. It says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus even says in Luke six twenty three, 23, leap for joy, man, because you're going to have great rewards in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 1, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he's talking about rewards in heaven. And, and you do them uh, the right works for the right reason. You're going to be rewarded in heaven. Uh, The very next passage in Matthew 6, verse 2, he says, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And so, where would you rather have your reward? On earth or in heaven? Why? Because the rewards on earth are just temporary. But the rewards in heaven are everlasting. Everlasting. See, you got to make sure you understand that. So we do our best to do the right thing for the right reason that we might receive our reward in the right place. You know, it's interesting. There in Matthew 6, Jesus speaks of simple things like giving, you'll be rewarded. Like praying, you'll be rewarded. Earlier in Matthew 5, he talks about loving. Just loving your enemies, you'll be rewarded. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Man, these are horrible people. These are horrible people. They're persecuting you. They're talking smack about you. They're coming against you. They want you to fail. Jesus said, love them. Pray for them. Because when you do, look at what he says. He says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Listen to this. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? You don't. If you just love those who love you, you're just like the non-believer. You're just like the tax collector. But when you love your enemies, Jesus said, you're going to receive a reward in heaven. You know, and when you read the Bible, the works of God is speaking on, they go beyond what you might, you know, consider, you know, to be the works of God. It, You know, you got to know this, you guys. It's not just the works of the great evangelist or that massive missionary or that preaching pastor. You guys know this, huh? God has so much more substance than that, so much deeper than that. And it's for that reason that Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 42, And wh- whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Imagine that. You know, you see one of the little kids and they're thirsty. Hey, teacher, can I get a some water? Oh, let me get it for you, you know? I know what Jesus said. He said, even these little things, we might consider little, they're not little to him. They're huge to him. And you won't lose that reward. And that's why, you know, I was talking to someone the other night and I was just thanking them for serving in the children's ministry. I said, you know, when you serve in the children's ministry, you know, it's almost like you're getting a double reward because number one, you're pouring into the lives of those kids. And number two, you're allowing the parents to sit in the Bible study and they grow. You know, and so, you know, there's opportunities to serve. I'll tell you what, man, God will reward you greatly. Imagine that you give that child a cup of water as a disciple of Christ and you're laying up, you know, rewards in heaven. You know, it's all about just doing that work uh, for the right reason. Like, you know, this study can really change Our life, it really can. You know, even last night, as I was studying it, and then I was done, I came inside, I was ironing my clothes, you know, you can't really tell. Um, I ironed it, but I tried. I even used, what's that starch stuff? I I even, oh man. And so, anyways, as I was ironing it, my wife comes in and she drops a shirt and she says, hey, can you let me know when you're done, you know, and leave the iron on so I can iron my, you know, uh, yeah, and I'm like, is that a hint? or what you know <laughs> but um you know i knew the right thing was to iron my son's shirt uh, for him at, because here's the thing okay and just at the end of the day you know ironing my clothes for myself there's no reward for that there isn't i mean there might be a reward in heaven someone must say hey man you look good man you got sharp <laughs> creases right I doubt if that would ever happen, but I'm just saying, there's no reward for that. But if I iron my mijos little t-shirt for him and for my wife, and if I don't tell you guys about it, (laughs) then there's a reward in heaven. Now, I just lost one, but I'm using it as an example, okay? I mean, it's about, um, like Mark was saying earlier, doing this for God. Doing this for others. Doing that work, and you might consider it so insignificant, but God doesn't see it that way. You need to see it the way God does, because He will reward you. He will reward you for that have you internalized that can you visualize that that day of reward is coming why because jesus is coming and he said in matthew 16 27 for the son of man will come in the glory of his father with his angels and then he will reward each according to his works you know some of jesus final words in the bible there you can read them there in red or in reference to rewards In Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, he says, And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. You know, you don't realize it, man. And I thank God for you as a congregation. You guys give to the work of the ministry, and, and so many of you are serving. And souls are being saved. Lives are being changed. Marriages are being mended families are coming back together the enemies being defeated I thank God for you and the work that God is doing through you and one day God will reward you I might not know everything you do and the person next to you might not know the way you pray but God does and he will reward you greatly so whatever you do, because you don't see that immediate reward right here and right now, don't lose heart. Don't ever lose heart. You know, I read a story on December sixteenth, 1944. Eighteen members of a rec- reconnaissance platoon, they held off a battalion of German stormtroopers. In all reality, according to the story, their brave and faithful stand gave Allied forces time to begin mounting the defense that eventually won the famous Battle of the Bulge. One of the platoon members was Will James, who after the war slipped into oblivion for nearly 40 years. He disappeared, he suffered surgeries, he was forgotten, and during that time he was never rewarded. As a matter of fact, he was never recognized or never rewarded, never awarded until after he died. what's that word, uh, posthumously, something like that, right? That he was rewarded after he died through the efforts of U.S. House Speaker Thomas O'Neill and Jack Anderson, a columnist. And it was at that point, after he died, where he was given the Distinguished Service Cross for Extraordinary Heroism. And for so many of us here, that's the way it is. It won't really happen. Until after you die. But when you die and you stand before Jesus, He will reward you greatly as we learn to do the right thing for the right reason. Be patient, the day will come. But you gotta be be, be ready and you gotta be ready for that day when you go to court before Christ, so to speak, and you appear before the judgment scene of Jesus. Are you ready for that day? You know, in order to be ready to appear, you kind of have to look at yourself in the mirror and and you know ask yourself what what do you look like what do the works that you're doing right now the life that you're living right now what does it really look like what do you see when you stop and slow down and take a long hard look in the mirror at your life That's why John wrote in 2 John 1 verse 8 he said look to yourselves look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Isn't that what you want, you guys? I mean, don't you want that full reward that will bring God so much glory? And the Bible says in Romans 14, verse 12, that each of us, every single one of us, shall give account of himself to God. You know, and it's such an important topic, the BMC Obviously, we can't cover everything in one Sunday teaching, but I think it's important to look at two more passages. And so make a left in your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, Now now he who plants... He's talking about the local congregation. He who plants uh, and he who waters are, are one... And each one will receive, notice, his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, Paul said, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. There's the key. How you build. How do you work? how do you serve how do you live how do you love when god looks at that work when god looks at our life you know it's an us like how like you know and for us it's like a, it's like we should want to live and serve with excellence the best that we can be the best husband the best wife the best father, the best mother, the best friend, the best pastor, the best musician, the best whatever it is that you can be. We want to serve with excellence. You have to take heed how you build it. And, and yet you do it in connection with Jesus. We're going to see that as we go through here. He says, For for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus' But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And here's what it means. Paul uses a really cool illustration. And he says, it's like, you know, we're all building. And he compares two buildings. He says, one is the temple over there. What's the temple made of? Oh, man, it's made of gold. It's made of silver. The precious stones, the material into that temple for God are, are glorious. But then he compares it to the everyday, ordinary structures of the homes that they lived in back then. And it was literally made of wood, hay, and stubble. The the wood framing and the hay and the stubble, you know, put together with the mud. And and so it's kind of like this in simplicity. As you're serving, are you serving God? You know, as I put together a Bible study, you know, am I doing this for God? You know, as you're doing that work, and it can be, it doesn't matter what it is, there you are and you're, you're a doctor and you're a lawyer and you work for the city or you work for the bank or at 7-Eleven or in and out, you know, asking for free food from you, I mean, things like that, you know. But it doesn't matter where you work, you do it as unto the Lord. And you're shining there. And the Bible says, man, God will, God will reward you for that. But if not, if you go in and it's just for yourself, it's just an ordinary thing, it's just a human thing, it's just an average thing, it's not for God, it's just for men, then the wood, the hay, stubble, we're going to go into the fire, and guess what's going to happen? It's going to get burned up. Now, he says right there, you're still saved he says right there, verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But, here it is, you're still saved. And you know what that is? That's a saved soul and a wasted life. Huh. You know, my prayer is that it would be a glorious day. God, two questions. How are you doing this? Are you doing this for God? And then the second question is why are you doing this? Look at chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, in verse 1, it says, "'Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ "'and stewards of the mysteries of God. "'Moreover, it is required in stewards "'that one be found faithful. "'But with me it's a very small thing "'that I should be judged by you or by a human court. "'In fact, I do not even judge myself.'" For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness. Interesting. The hidden things of darkness. All the things that you do in the dark. All the things that you think you can hide. They're all going to be there in front of God. When you're talking to him, and you're just standing before him. He's going to bring to light the hidden things of darkness. And it says right here, and reveal the counsels of the hearts. And then each one's praise will come from God. The counsels of the hearts are the motives of the heart. Why do you do what you do? It's, it's what do you do, it's how do you do it, it's why do you do it. Manny, are you really doing this because you love God? Are you really doing this? You know, you're trying to be a good husband and dad and man and, and just all the roles that you have in life. You're trying to do it because you love God and you love the people. You know, our motives. Paul says right there, you know, some people say stuff about me and they judge me. You know what? And that, they have the right to do that. And I check out my own life and I'm like, man, as I, as I search my heart, Lord, I, I think I'm doing this for the right reason. He says, but at the end of the day, even I don't know, God knows. And one day, boom, it'll all be revealed. And so what he's saying to us here is, man, we have to understand that this has to be real. That we got to do the right thing uh, for the right reason in the right way. And and as we study these things together today, I pray that therefore, because we've came today, you know, maybe you came today and you're like, the only reason I came, Manny, is because someone told me that they're going to take me out to eat afterwards. (laughs) Or or maybe you're here today and you're like, hey, Manny, the only reason I'm here today is because I'm a drug baby. My mama drugged me out of bed and told me I have to be here, you know. (laughs) I said, I have to be here. And I don't know, who knows why you're here. All I'm saying is this, maybe you're here to hear this study so that it changes everything. So that on that day, you will receive a full Reward from God. You see, that's my prayer. I pray it'll be a glorious day that will reveal works of obedience with motives that weren't marred, and those rewards will bring glory to God. Because I don't it's not gonna be that way for everybody. There's a couple of interesting passages that seem to indicate that some of God's children might have a bit to be ashamed about. In first John two twenty-eight, I love this verse, it says, And now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence before him and not be ashamed at his coming and so i like that because you know he's saying that when jesus comes that that you won't be ashamed because some will apparently and what he's saying the key is to do this is to abide in him you know when you're resting in the lord and you're loving him and just in right relationship and fellowship with him you're going to find that all this is just going to flow out of your heart but there's a warning to us i think some will be ashamed on that day paul in writing to the christians of Colossae, he wrote in colossians 3 23 it says whatever you do do it heartily as to the lord and not to men so here i am i'm ironing my son's shirt and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, he's 19 years old. He should be ironing his own shirt right now. I want to go to sleep because I have to wake up early, right? And I'm burning a hole in that shirt. No, I'm just joking. You know, I'm ironing this shirt, and I'm saying, Lord, this is for you. And whatever you do, it says you do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing this, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. It says, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. You know, I used to have a mentality when it came to the Bema seat that, that, you know, that the only thing that's going to really be judged there is like me being a pastor or that kind of works of ministry or maybe my teaching. But as I really have searched this out, I've come to realize that you can't separate life into categories. You can't compartmentalize all of your life in one sense is that work for God. And so everything will be judged before God, you see? Not that we're going to be punished. That's not, we won't be punished. Jesus suffered all of our punishment on the cross. But if we don't, you know, aim to be well pleasing to him, then we will suffer loss. We will lose rewards. And that's what the Bible says. You see, back in 2 Corinthians, we come to our last word. The first word is aim. You know, we aim to be well-pleasing. The second word is appearance. We're all going to have to appear before Christ. Uh, The third word is awards. My prayer is that you guys get a whole bunch of trophies, not just for participation, okay? (laughs) And then my fourth word uh, is apostles. Because look what he says here in verse 11. He says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your own consciences. Paul basically says because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade men. You know, Paul had a healthy fear of God who called him to be an apostle. You know, he was sent by God with work to do, and he responded to that responsibility. Giving to him by God to go out and to do his best. To do what? To persuade men. And you know, you guys might not be Paul the Apostle, but but you know what? I think in one sense we're all called to do that. We're all called maybe in one sense to persuade men to go out and to tell the world that Jesus loves them, to go out and tell the world that you should become a Christian too, you know, to go out and tell the Christians that you should be completely committed to Jesus Christ, not just a half-hearted christian, you know to to persuade them, he says, I, "I fear God, therefore, I persuade men to persuade someone means to cause someone to believe or to do something through the efforts of reasoning that they might come to this place where you want them to be. You know you go out and you tell the world, man." that they should believe in Jesus that he loves them that he died for them that they need him you know maybe you're here today and you're not a christian you know that would be all of our message to you that we know god loves you and yeah we've blown it yeah we've sinned join the club i'm the chief of all sinners but i tell you what even though i'm a great sinner i have a great savior And Jesus died for me, and I know that. They put him in the grave, I know that. And he rose for me. And what I've done in all simplicity, I've put my hand in his hand. I've given him my heart. I have chosen completely to follow him. And if you do that, you just come and you say, Lord, I'm all messed up. But I give you my heart. Then you will be saved. That's what it's all about. It's a simple gospel to turn in from your sins and to trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I just see how it's a gift, and I just think, wow, it's a it's a good deal. Paul wanted to persuade the nonbeliever to believe, and I believe he also wanted to persuade the Christian to to be the church, to be the called-out ones, to be completely committed and, and it's interesting what he says here in verse 11, because there was some drama going on in Corinth. He says, we're well known to God. And, and in other words, he's saying, God knows we're sincere. And, and then he says, and we're well known in your conscience. In other words, I hope you know this too, that, that we're sincere. You know, you should know it if you'd listen to Christ and just listen to your conscience. Because remember, there were some who questioned the call. Of Paul. And yet, you guys know in closing this that Paul was an apostle. He was a missionary. He was an evangelist. He was a Bible teacher. He was a church planner. He was a pastor. He was a pastor's pastor. That was his calling. Question What's yours? What's your calling? You know, what are your gifts? You know, what are the talents that you were made? For you know, made with you were born with. You're born again with. You know, you have to know your your gifts and your calling, your place in the body of Christ, and then you go out and you answer that call. You know, if you're single here today, for all the single people, raise your hand and then look around. I'm just joking. (laughs) I probably should do that to you guys one day, man. As a matter of fact, let's let all the single people stand. No, I'm just joking. I won't do that. You guys got to start getting married. But anyways, in the meantime, I don't know what these guys' problems are, but um, bust the move. You know, <laughs> if you're single, man, you have so much time to serve the Lord, huh? 1 Corinthians 7 says you should be serving the Lord like crazy, right? If you're married, you know, your calling of a husband or wife. Maybe you're blessed with children, daddy or mommy. Your ministry begins at home and you're going to be rewarded for being faithful there. Don't you ever forget that. Even as you get older, I often see spouses taking care of their spouse. And it blows me away. I can't think of a, a greater calling. I can't think of a higher calling. What a reward. You will have one day. You just know your calling and you follow through. It then spills over to the various gifts given to us by God, the talents of which we have many, the minors representing our life of which we have one. What does your life consist of? How are you working or walking, doing for God in this body that you have for the body of Christ? Or are you taking those gifts and talents and and burying them under the ground? You know what? Jesus is going to call you into account for that. And what he says in Matthew 25 to those people who were entrusted with gifts and talents and they buried them, he said, You wicked and lazy servant. It's a heavy responsibility that we have. We have to forget, you guys, only one life. Soon it will pass. Only what's done on Facebook will last. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Only one life, soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last, right? I mean, man, one day, it's just a trip, man. It's going to all be there, you know, for us to look at. Imagine if one day, on that day, you stand before the Lord and it's revealed. What if God shows you you were the church gossip? Oh, man. You're always on the phone. Hey, did you get the latest Juicy Juicy? You know? <laughs> or you're there on the phone and you did a lot of backbiting, slandering, speaking evil of others. And there it is, that ugliness and the precious presence of Jesus' perspective. Some people are going are gonna to find out that the hard way. What if you find out that the summary of your life was this? You did your own will. Wow. It's going to be devastating. You didn't work or get involved in ministry because it wasn't convenient and you didn't want to sweat or you didn't want to sacrifice. i tell you what, I've been working out lately. I thank God for his grace that I'm not injured at my age. Man, it's good to sweat. Amen? How many of you guys, can? you like to sweat? Come on, raise your hand and we'll smell you, but it's okay, man. I mean, you know, some people, they choose a house over him. They choose earth's gold over God's gold. Maybe one day you're going to find out you spent your money on yourself, on the things that are temporary rather than giving to the work of the Lord obediently or even generously. Or maybe for someone like me, guys like me, we have to be so careful. of the pastor on staff. You preached a thousand sermons. And your theology was right. It was so right. It was right on target. But you did it all for the wrong reason with marred motives. You know, I need to make a living or I want to be seen or upfront, or famous or all those things. And that work is put into the fire. All those thousands and thousands of sermons are put into the fire, scrutinized by the eyes of my Savior. And imagine it all gets burned up. Nothing's left. That will happen to those who are in the ministry with motives that are marred. You know, we're not here to build a big church. We're not here, we don't have to go wide, we just got to go deep. You know, the things that we do today, they will echo on into eternity. I tell you what, and I know, I know the pastors here, these guys, they love you. Because God put his love in them. And we, they want you, you to thrive. They want you to overcome. It's not like a whole bunch of people. It's one by one loving them. That on that day, when they stand before Jesus, that they will receive a full reward. Because I tell you what, if that's what Jesus wants, that's what I want. You know, thank God that you're still saved. But man, we don't want to be saved by, saved by the skin of our teeth, right? I mean, we want to go in in a way that would just bless. You know, rewards in heaven, They, it doesn't matter what position you have, although I do pray that more people would get involved and find that calling, maybe even as a teacher or pastor, because I'll tell you what, we need pastors. But it doesn't matter on that day. You know, I read a funny story, to be honest with you, about a preacher who died and went to heaven. And he noticed that a New York cab driver had been given a greater reward than he'd been given. And so he said, I don't understand. I devoted my whole life to the congregation and so one of the angels told him and explained. Well, we're, we judge by you know deeper things by results. And they asked him, "Well, Pastor, when you preached, uh, when you gave a sermon, you know what happened?" And then all, suddenly, the whole, all these scenes went through the pastor's mind, and he can just see a lot of people sleeping. Well, a lot of people went to sleep. And the angel said, "That's my point exactly. When the cab driver drove, everybody prayed." Well, of course, that's not exactly how it works, but it is possible. And you guys know this, huh? It is possible that one day when we get to heaven that the taxi cab driver who loves Jesus might get a bigger reward than the pastor of the mega church. You guys know that, right? Or the third grade public school teacher or that stay-at-home mom or, or that bank teller or the disabled person that no one ever knew. You know, to receive a greater reward than that famous, you know, missionary. It's how you lived and how you loved and how you served and how you worked and why. And we never forget that that's really what matters. It's so cool that God tells us in advance about that day. So that we might be ready and that we might receive rewards in heaven. I mean, God is so good. You know what he does? He gives us the physical, mental, and spiritual ability to work in his kingdom. And then what does he do? He rewards us for doing this. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, if you do, uh, praise God, you're, you're saved, man. Second question, do you believe in the Bema seat? What we're talking about today. Do you believe that day? Do you believe that God is a rewarder? Do you believe that? You know, there's a real cool passage in Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I pray you would believe in this day and believe in what the Bible teaches, that God is a God who gives rewards. You know, we don't know all the details about those rewards. Uh, I think that a lot of it has to do with service in the millennial kingdom or in heaven. I I think uh, a lot of it will be like crowns we're going to get, the Bible says, and then we're going to take those crowns and we're going to cast them at Jesus' feet. I believe even part of the reward will be Jesus' words to us. When he sees your life and he sees your heart and he sees that sweetness and that faithfulness and that endurance and you are doing the right thing for the right reason. He looks at you and you're going to look into his eyes. And he, with his lips, our Lord will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I mean, to me, that, those are rewards that we should all long to hear. But whatever it is then, It has everything to do with what's going on now. And so if you've been off track, let me slap you aside the head real quick. (laughs) Get on track. And don't let the enemy beat you up thinking I can't. Yes, you can. God is all over you. God loves you. And God is always the God of the second chance. But you got to be aware of what's going on, that you are working for his glory, for their good, and even for a reward one day. Let me close with a story I remember hearing when I was just a a new Christian. You know, it's a story I heard of a wealthy businessman who one day met with one of his workers and he gave him a job. He said, I want you to build me a house and here's a million dollars to do it. Here's the location, here's the dimensions, and there are all the details you need to know. I want you to make it the best house that you can with the resources that you've been given. He said, I'm going to be gone for a while, but when I return, we'll see what you've done. Unfortunately, this worker leaned more towards the lazy side of life. And he was also kind of one of those swindlers. And so what he did was he took the million dollars and, and he cut corners everywhere. And he used cheap material and cheap labor. The the bottom line is he didn't really care about the owner. And so he didn't really care about the quality of the house that he was building. I mean, he thought, he really thought that he could get away with it, that he could fool this businessman. And the worker even stole some of the money and he went on vacations to Hawaii and apparently he didn't even own his own home and even that gave him a bit of bitterness so he didn't put forth his best effort for someone else's house and so when the house was done the house was a joke it was a joke and so the day came and the businessman returned and he looked over the house and You know, it looked good from the outside, even though it it wasn't really built to last. And it was at that point that the businessman said to the worker, friend, I, I knew you didn't have a house. I gave you this time and these resources because I care about you. And in all reality, all this time, you've been building your own house. Here's the deed and the keys for the house that you will live in from this day forward. You see? And and in one sense, that's what we're doing now. You guys, we're building our own house. We're determining our everlasting destiny, not salvation, but where we will be and what we'll be doing in heaven forever and ever. Because the Bible says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.